Amy Carson, and this is The Balance, Understanding Nonprofit Finance. In today's episode, Rhea Wong and Travis Carey join me to talk about preparing financials for board meetings. Hello, and welcome to this week's episode of The Balance. Our first guest today is Ria Wong. Ria is the founder of Ria Wong Consulting and a former executive director. Ria, welcome. Thanks, Amy. So good to be here. Thank you. Ria, can you give us a little bit of background about your prior role and current role? Sure. So I was an executive director here in New York City for about 12 and a half years of a small educational nonprofit called Breakthrough New York. So in that time... I grew the organization from, I think it was like $250,000 a year to, to just under $3 million in private philanthropy. And then in 2018, I founded my own consulting firm and focused on teaching people how to fundraise, specifically with major gift fundraising. So I do that in my group coaching program. I'm also a podcaster such as yourself. So I really appreciate your, your podcast voice. It's very smooth. I, I try really hard. Thank you. It's really good. It's good. I have a book coming out at the beginning of Q1 called Get That Money, Honey. (laughs) No BS Guide to Raising Money for Your Nonprofit. And in between all of that, I, well, I dabbled in stand-up comedy. So if you ever want to completely undermine your self-esteem and self-confidence, try stand-up comedy in downtown Manhattan. That's fantastic. I never knew that about you. Yeah, it's a, it's, it's a brutal way to make a living. I'll tell you that much. That's amazing. Well, Travis, I don't know how you're going to kind of follow that. I'm, I'm going to bring in Travis Carey. Travis is my arch nemesis slash favorite, one of my favorite people. He is the CEO of Carey & Co. Travis, thanks for being on. Can you tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do? Sure. Thanks for having us. And following Ray is going to be a tough one. But Carrie & Co. outsourced CFO and controller services for not-for-profit organizations. And we've been doing this about 20 years, but uh, eight years as a company. And um, we have about 30 people right now. So lots of, lots of different type of funding and lots of different sizes of organizations. That's great, Travis. Thanks. So the topic of today's conversation is around preparing financial statements for board meetings. And Travis, I was kind of joking before we started recording that every time I talk to you, you're either walking into a board meeting, walking out of a board meeting. It seems to be a big focus about what you do. Can you talk a little bit about that and the role that you play currently with your clients and maybe that you've even just played throughout your career? Sure. I think in particular, we do go to a lot of board meetings. We start of course, finance committee, executive committee, then full board. And I, I think there's a great trajectory in there of how much detail you want to want to provide to an organization and and what level of experience and, and what appetite for detail certain board members might have, right? So when we talk about what materials we're going to present or how we're going how we're going to do it, I think that's one one thing is you get all the background information, right? You get the bio. And if it's a banking heavy finance committee, it's different than if it's a bunch of social workers, right? Or or something like that. So we really do try to know the audience a little bit and then the timeline, right? So finance committee, one hour, executive committee, maybe 15 minutes and then full board five or 10 minutes, right? Because you hope you're focusing everybody on programs or something else. So we, we have a bit of a method of how much time, what appetite for detail there might be at those different levels. Yeah. That's where we started. That's helpful. And now, Rhea, you mentioned that you have been, you know, you were an executive director for 12 and a half years. It seems like you've had your share of preparing for 
board meetings. Can you walk us through some challenges that you faced through the years, things that you did well, lessons learned? Oh, Amy, how much time do we have? (laughs) All right. Well, the first thing I would say, Travis, to your point is I think it's really helpful. And if I could go back in time, I would have done this is to provide a crash course for board members about nonprofit finance. Because in my experience, you have board members that fall basically one of two camps. You either have the people who don't understand finance or scared by numbers and will just like sign off on whatever those, you know, the social worky people maybe. And then on the other hand, you have people who are way too in the weeds and these tend to be, you know, they are hedge fund managers, private equity people, uh, I bankers who don't understand sort of the level of detail that is appropriate and also don't necessarily understand the nuances of for-profit versus not-for-profit accounting, and also don't necessarily understand the way the revenue flows. And so as a fundraiser, I'm particularly sensitive to this because, you know, in the for-profit world, it's about, we can just sell more widgets. Often in the nonprofit sector, it's like, well, a lot of it has to do with timing and grant restrictions. And, you know, here's when the money generally comes in. And so the way that we project is different. And actually, Travis, I'd be curious about your thoughts on that. Oh, yes. Thank you. Thank you. That's actually a great lead in because what I was going to talk about next was exactly, you know, we really do want to know how our organization is funded. Right. But like you said, all the for profit people that are helping lead the organizations and run the boards have different backgrounds. Right. So we do give kind of the crash courses, particularly in restricted funds or government grants and things that might be more complicated or might not come through with them. And you're right, having a baseline set of assumptions. And believe it or not, I probably do a two minute intro every meeting just on on the refresher on those things, right? Of remember we're talking about it this way, especially if an organization does some cash basis reporting and some accrual basis reporting or or something a little bit different than that throughout the year. I think the board also has to be oriented to the types of programs you run. So for example, with my organization, we ran after school and summer programs. And so a big chunk of our expenses was in the summer. And so having quarterly reports wasn't necessarily the most helpful thing to look at because most of our expenses came basically in the last quarter of our year because we were in June, July. And it got complicated because we had to split the biggest expenses of our year over two different fiscal years. All to say, though, that I think it it just depends on what your business is and then have your board understand how to look at the finances relative to your business, because it like may not make sense to do a quarter to quarter apples to apples comparison. Yeah, I think so. And it's all about the presentation. And, and tra- I'm really sensitive to this point because I feel that frequently when I have to present to a board of directors, it's how do I get the social worker, the teacher, the hedge fund manager, the private equity fund manager, like how do I get all of these people with different backgrounds kind of on the same page? And and I do think finance and accounting training should really be part of any board education, should be part of board retreats. And and I don't see it there. And so I guess, like, I guess my first question is, is why not? And I guess, Travis, are you doing it at all? Or what are your thoughts here? So, we are doing a board training a lot. A few of the organizations that I work with have an orientation, which I would say is like every two years, every board member who's new should go to it and get a crash course. And then it's just a big, it's the big picture view, probably the dashboard that you'd like to look at even more often, which is, you know, some pie charts of how we're funded and where does it come from, some pie charts on expenses. You know, it's even good to give the reminder that, you know, maybe 80% of the organization is is salary benefits and, and 
payroll taxes and things like that. So they realize like when you're going to cut or when you're really talking about key decisions for growth, you have to staff up or, you know, where the organization's priorities are. Cause those aren't, those aren't things that they always think of in context. Right. And if you can give them the big picture view, that's when you can structure having the right level of detail at each meeting, right? And knowing where to focus. The other thing I always try to do in the orientation is relate it to what they know, right? They came, they came to the organization for the programs or they've seen the success of a fundraising campaign or something going on in the organization. The financial story should map to those other things that they do know and they are familiar with. Yeah, I, I love the thought, Travis, your point around storytelling, because essentially the numbers tell a story. And I remember having a CFO and I once said, like, well, what do the numbers say? And she said, well, what do you want the numbers to say? And I was like, what do you mean? They're numbers. But they, they can tell a story. And I think where I've gotten in trouble in the past is when either the story has not matched up with what I'm saying or the numbers don't match up or it's too complicated to understand. And so I would say I've made many mistakes in my time, but those are kind of the three that stick out at me. And then the fourth one, and, and this is like always my favorite, is when a board member gets riled up about some something they saw on like a TED talk or a, a, an article they wrote. And they're like, well, what's our overhead? I'm like, please don't even talk to me about this. <laughs> I cannot. We're like, well, well how come our... 80% of our budget is salary. It's like, because everyone's budget is 80% salary. Are you kidding me? But I, I think to your point, just a base level of orientation and education, like even how to read a balance sheet or a PL would be incredibly helpful. Yeah. So Ria, what, like, what did you in your prior role, what, what would you show to the board? So I, w- I would show the quarterly financials, but I, it was really simplified. So it would be budget, year to date. And then I wouldn't even do, I, I can't even, I don't even think I did like uh, quarterly comparisons because we were growing so quickly. So it, it almost like there, there was no sort of reason to show a quarter to quarter comparison from the year before. But what I would do, and, and I tip my hat to my CFO, uh, Freda Gimpel, who's a genius at this, is I would always make sure to put an explanatory note for any expenses or revenue items that deviated like 10% because I wanted to get ahead of any potential questions that could come. And I put it in plain English on the front page. And then it would sort of be like, here's the bottom line thing that you need to know. So that would, especially for the folks that were a little bit more nervous about financials, feel like, oh, I'm explaining in a way that's understandable. Because what I found was that if it's complicated and the people who are nervous about numbers would therefore just not ask questions because they didn't want to appear dumb or whatever. And so they would let, you know, the people who felt very comfortable with finances dig in and then it just got to be this entire mess. So simple is better is I guess what I'm trying to say. I agree. Travis, what are your thoughts, especially to that point around simplicity? Simplicity, good. I I definitely have a a canned sort of package in my head that is exactly that budget versus actual year to date and comparing to some other relevant prior period. Right. And I I say that, I think you led into something, but they're like, what a lot of my clients are doing is reporting like this year's budget against what happened in 2019 pre pandemic or something like that, because it, it really makes sense to give them context of we're going back to normal or, or all these program expenses stopped during the pandemic, but now they're back up. So anything that provides the best context or fills in the blanks on that story that we want people to understand and relate to, they know what went on. They know the office was shut. So things were down or they know we raised more money 
online this year and less money in from galas and things like that, right? So as as you paint those pictures for them, it should it should just leap off the page when you're explaining your variances. But I do do one page memo, one page budget versus actual. Couple of rules of thumb, you know, you get past four or five columns on a page, driving everybody crazy. The numbers are too small, right? You don't need fifty line items for your expenses. You need you need twenty, right? There's so there's a few things like that that I think are important to to catch an eye and get people focused on bigger numbers, not smaller numbers. That makes sense. And do you do you do like a we do like a one page dashboard? Like here are the main things that you need to know. I think you do the same thing. Yeah, same type of thing. Yeah. It's all about how you, how do you get everybody on the same page? And if I'm going to have, you know, a limited amount of time with the board, how do I tell the story I want to tell? And that actually leads me to my next thought, which is around the finance committee. And at least in my role, I, we work with the, if, if we're going to work with anybody, I would say we work with the board treasurer quite a bit. Um, and I'm actually really just curious what, your th- what your thoughts are. What's the optimal role of the finance committee? Travis, I'll start with you. So I, I do, I'm, I mean, I am lucky. I work with some pretty great finance committees and, you know, if I have over the years worked with some bad ones too, right? And I, and I think in our business, what we try to do is we play, we try to play our role and we hope that management is playing their role, the finance committee is playing their role and, and right down the court. But when you say, what do I want from the finance committee, right? I want them to be the business judgment of the organization, right? And, and, you know, if they can sprinkle in some emotional intelligence and some of the other things, great, but, but it has to be measuring sustainability, making sure we're accounting for the right things. If they need cash flow information because the organization's having trouble on that, I'm going to be providing it, but they've got to be reading it and helping me address it, right? If the organization's going through a capital campaign or, or spending a lot of capital expenditures, I want them to be giving recommendations about how to finance it or what to do. So it's really the sustainability business judgment role that I think is key for the finance committee. That makes perfect sense. Rhea, do you have any thoughts? Yeah, I I would 100% agree. I mean, I think in my experience, the committee chairs don't pay as much attention as I want them to. Uh, And look, I understand it's not their day-to-day job. It's a volunteer position. So I would say that in my experience at a board meeting, it's appropriate for the board members or the finance chair to report out. Like in a board meeting, board members should be speaking to each other. Now, sometimes I think they don't have that level of detail and granularity. So obviously, it's always helpful to have a CFO present as well. Um, But Travis, as you're talking, it it made me also think that I would love a world in which we could also use the financials as a predictive tool, right? Because I feel like so often the financials are looking backwards. Like, what what did we spend? And what are we looking at for the first quarter? But I would love more boards, and maybe maybe they do, and I'm just not aware of it, but tying their budget to the more strategic questions of where are we going? What investments are we making in order to get there? And like, and how are we doing? And, and what are the trade-offs? And are we are we keeping a good eye on, on sort of the trade-offs that are happening along the way and the milestones? Travis, I know we spoke about this at length. You did quite a bit of this when the pandemic hit. It was across the board. We really did. Everybody needed one. Everybody wanted to know what was going to happen. And I mean, the lucky ones were just worried about how much their endowment was down short term, right? But but others were really, you know, trying to decide if if people were going to lose their jobs or what was going to happen next. And it, it, it's crunch time for your finance team, right? So what was nice with the existing clients that we had was, um, you know, 
our clients were well positioned, right? They knew how to react. They already had a format or a template that they were used to. So if you've got these good practices going on day to day, year to year now, when the crisis comes, you're a lot quicker to adjust and react, right? If you're if you're starting from scratch, like here's the first time you've ever seen a projection. And that, by the way, now it's crunch time. You're just trying to understand the projection, not make decisions. So I think it's kind of key to have it as part of your regular discipline. That's great advice. And Rhea, you touched on something that I wanted to talk about as well in terms of who should present to the board. And, and at least for me, I know it runs the gamut. Sometimes I do, sometimes the treasurer does, sometimes... The executive director does, and I'm, I'm actually really just curious what others' experience is here, and then I'll take it one step further, and then, you know, how, do, how can we best, maybe Travis and our roles, how can we best prepare whoever is going to be doing the presentation to really kind of hit the key points? I think, you know, I, and I really do reference the size of the organization, right? Because at, at the board meeting, I think peer-to-peer is better, right? If you can get your treasurer to to do it and and they have the comfort and, and involvement, but that's not always the case just based on time. But I, I think that it, it's a three-person story anyway, right? The treasurer has a story. The executive director will want to give some context or some something. And, and ideally, you know, as the CFO at the board level, I'm there for the backup or for questions. I might play, I might, I'm probably presenting to the finance committee and then the treasurer is presenting to the full board. Um, what I say is, is the best situation. But, you know, like you said, somebody might not be able to make a meeting or somebody might not have the depth of expertise on a certain topic. So you have to be a little bit flexible and you have to have it be conversational a little bit. That makes sense. Amy, can I just add one thing? Please. The best advice I ever got, and, and, I, and I say this because I've gotten shot at for it, is if there's anything in the budget that's sort of spicy, have the meeting before the meeting. I have definitely been guilty of this is early on in my ED ship um, where I presented, I can't remember what it was, but it it was something that deviated from the norm. It wasn't like a huge pivot, but it, it was definitely not sort of business as usual. And I, even though I had talked to the finance committee, I had made the mistake of not socializing it behind the scenes to other people, especially the ones that I knew were going to be I don't know, more conservative or feel like they didn't want to be, uh, didn't want to take sort of bigger steps that way. And so I think I I remember this like early on in my career, I I, um, presented this strategy and the budget to support it. And I just got shot down. I mean, it was bad. It was just like all the bullets were coming at me. And I was like, okay, that's a, that's a good lesson learned, which is you have to set the stage and have the meeting before the meeting so that when you walk into the room, you already know what everyone is going to be, especially the people who are outliers on either side, either like super supporters or super uh, naysayers. I think that's right. And I, and I think, you know, it's one of the reasons I suggest peer-to-peer at the board meeting too is, is because the, the treasurer generally might know some sensitivities at the board level that I'm not aware of or has, has better insights into that, right? So then the pre-meeting, Travis, would be meeting with the finance committee or what have you, getting them on the same page and then let them introduce it to the board. Well, and, and potentially people outside of the finance committee too, because I think sometimes depending on what it is, if it's, if it's very spicy, <laughs> you're going to want to have all your ducks lined up before you walk into the room. Sure. Well, good rule of thumb, right? No surprises, right? That's, for, from, from CFO standpoint, we, we don't like a surprise. We never want to have. 
So that's a perfect segue to my next question, which is what do we do when we're effectively the messenger of bad news? And almost always it's around revenue and missing revenue targets. And I always struggle with, you know, what do we do in that situation? We certainly don't want to, you know, throw development under the bus for lack of a better phrase. But at the same time, we need to make the board aware that certain things just aren't what we thought they were going to be. So Rhea, if you wouldn't mind, just your (laughs) general thoughts here on how to circumvent that. Yeah, I would, first of all, I'm, (laughs) just tell me what it is, right? I just want to know the truth. But then I come with some strategies around how to present it in such a way that is not going to incite alarm. Because I think there's this emotional piece around money, right? People will freak out, (laughs) especially if you're like, we haven't made our revenue targets. Now, I don't think there's a reason to freak out necessarily, but, you know, as a really busy ED, I, I need, you know, the CFOs to be calm enough to be like, okay, so this is happening. And this is how we suggest that you present this, which may include thinking about the personal side of it. And and I think that's where, in my experience, the best CFOs have had both the technical experience, but also the emotional intelligence to understand how to present numbers in a way that won't freak people out. I love that. Travis? I really like the simplicity of just present them in a way that won't freak people out. But I think that's, that's goal number one. So I, I think the way we do that in, in my world is, you know, you want to, you always want to err on context or providing some context, right? So one thing is timeliness, right? Get it out there as quick as you can. So there's time to deal with it, but also make sure you do have the plan. Right. And what I mean by context is, all right, how big is the problem? What was our plan? What is the, you know, we're, we're going to miss revenue by $50,000. That's a big deal, but we have a million dollar reserve. So we're going to be okay. And here's the assumption that we thought was going to happen that didn't happen. So having the full context of where you missed and why you missed, it's really important. And then what, what actions are required to either cut expenses or get back on track or take a loss or what's consistent with the long-term plan, right? Because you might want to, you might want to take a loss in in the spirit of achieving some other program goal, or you might want to do something differently, right? So, so really context and big picture and relating it to mission is kind of key to, to making sure everybody knows like, and how big of a deal it is, right? Is it catastrophic? Are people going to lose their job? What's going to happen? Well, and Rhea made the point about the emotionality of all of it. And I think that's really true. A lot of times I will, you know, we will, we can tell an executive director, hey, this is going to happen. I I think that, I think we need to let the board know because this is, this looks like it's going to happen. This looks like it's going to happen. I know I struggle with this occasionally, Travis, and I don't know what your feeling is here, but what do you do when the ED does not want you to tell the finance committee or wants you to sugarcoat it or... I think sometimes we're almost caught in the middle and it's a tricky situation to be in. It's it's definitely tricky when if if an ED wants to avoid the hard conversation, but but I think again that that context always helps, right? And I think the ED's perspective is generally the most valuable in in the context situation, like why it is or is not a big deal or or what the what the response is. Right. Because they're, they're key. The other thing that the thing that I think goes a little bit weird is when you get to reporting a number that's bad, it's the instinct is often that the number's wrong. Right. So is the number wrong or bad? And, and the, it can swing a meeting for me quite a bit. if People think the number's wrong rather than bad. 
right? So we want them focused that it's it's not the wrong number. It's just that it's not as good as we had hoped. And I think that is really an important conversation. I like that. And I liked your point about mitigation strategies. Rhea, I'm curious, in your prior experience as an executive director, what kind of mitigation strategies you would use if something, for example, of just revenue doesn't quite swing the way you want? And what are the workarounds that you've suggested to the board? Or how have you presented this? Yeah. So, you know, my my strategy has always been to bring people under the tent, right? Because like, to travel this point, no one likes to be surprised. And so I would always get my most vocal supporters, sort of their understanding what the issue is. And then for any potential issue, uh, let's, let's say shortfall on revenue as an example, I would always sort of provide the look ahead, which is like, okay, but, you know, we have revenue in reserves or we have, or, you know, we plan to like not hire some people when we need to hire them, whatever it may be, because people want to hear solutions there, <laughs> like, because it's just not that helpful to be like, and, and we have a shortfall. And that is all right. Like there's end of story. So, I mean, those are a couple of the different things, but, you know, to your point, even before, I think it's always helpful to have people that go to bat for you. So in the case of, say, bad news, I may line up, you know, finance committee chair, board chair, treasurer, whomever, uh, to sort of speak on my behalf and talk the board through what the, what the plan is moving forward. So it really just takes the temperature down on the, the chaos and the freaking out. I like that a lot, actually. We've been doing that just with our clients in general a lot lately. Like, this is what's going to happen. And these are our five suggestions as to how we can mitigate it. And then you kind of, you get, you, you know, you build support from the ground up. Start with the executive director, then the finance committee, then the board. So I truly, I appreciate your thoughts. I do think that gaining feedback and getting everyone on the same page and like lowering the temperature before it can become a thing is definitely the way to go. So there's a really interesting communication study done by some guy I'm not remembering, but he said that uh, in terms of conveying information, only 7% is what you say and a much larger percentage is your tone of voice and your body language. So if if you can just convey a really calm and confident body language and tone of voice, I think it does wonders, (laughs) especially around things like numbers, which get people very excitable. Um, And then the other thing is I would maybe just think about, especially if it's something particularly controversial, I would maybe suggest doing what I tell my fundraising students to do, which is anticipate, like brainstorm 15 different questions that you might get, and then write the answers to those down, which is to say that you may get a 16th question that you did not anticipate, but I would say like 99% of the questions that you actually spend just literally 30 minutes thinking about will probably be the ones that come up. That's a great response. So I also think that there's there's power to maybe changing the conversation and utilizing the board to help answer some of these questions. Most notably, like I think you were both referencing that you will, you know, you would show an executive summary or a fiscal dashboard. And one of the metrics you were using was budget versus actuals. So in your experience, I guess I'm just curious how you've actually used the financial data to challenge the board of directors to come and help. And instead of saying, hey, we have a problem, like, hey, here's a great place for you all to step in and, and help us out. And, and these are the very concrete ways that we can utilize the board to help uh, mitigate some of the challenges that we're going to face this year. 
I guess, Rhea, in your role as executive director and your role as fundraiser, I suspect you're probably quite good at this. And I would appreciate your thoughts. Well, it's interesting, Amy, (laughs) because in my experience, board members will talk about doing anything and everything, including cutting expenses before they'll get to maybe we should just raise more money (laughs) and maybe that we should actually raise more money. So what's really interesting to me is how often the conversation around finances is, is divorced from the conversation about fundraising. And often the blockages, as I've seen with boards around fundraising, is actually nothing really to do with money and everything to do with feelings, right? Feelings of rejection, anxiety. I'm scared to ask my friends because then they're going to ask me or they're going to feel some kind of way. And so I think what's really critical, certainly using the budget as a as backup for how and why they should be invested in fundraising is helpful. But as we know, fundraising is an emotional, not an intellectual exercise. And so often what I've found is like, sure, you can use the numbers, but really what you need to do to get the board engaged in fundraising is to sort of step into those emotional blockages that they have around fundraising and their own anxiety around it. Very similar thoughts. I think, you know, we want to know in finance, what levers the organization can pull, right, to 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 fix a problem, right, and and the two you might you might think of it as simply revenue and expense, right, but but there can be capital or there can be other things. And I I have had the the pleasure in the pandemic of several boards stepping up and saying, either the deficit is okay, or you know, in one particular instance, we were going to go over budget, but we went over budget on scholarships. So more people participated in our program. And so that's, we're doing it. And that's why and it's part of our strategic goal. So um, I think it's, it very much has to be married to the mission, right? And, and to what you're trying to get to and to where your goals are, right? And so if you're connecting all those dots in in, in the meetings year round, when it comes time for the harder choices, you, you know exactly where the levers are that you have to pull or, or how, how the organization together. And I think what you said, when you're partnering with your board and, and they're involved, some smart solutions are going to come out of there if everybody's, if you've got the best people working on it and some really smart people, right? Can I put a plug in here too? Because I, I just feel like the fundraisers get thrown under the bus. <laughs> All the time. All the time, right? Because it's like, all right, so if we're not going to meet our revenue numbers, and it must be the development director's fault, or, or the ED's not doing enough fundraising. And, you know, in some cases that may be true, but fundraising is a team sport. And so I just want to flag here that, you know, a fundraiser and your fundraising committee and your executive director are not golden geese that are going to keep laying the eggs. Like investments need to be made. And and certainly around uh, development infrastructure and training. So if you want to keep seeing those returns, you have to invest. You have to invest in a good CRM system. You have to invest in staff that can keep up with your donors. You have to invest in marketing. And I just think we, we're in this scarcity mindset where we want to keep seeing the revenue and we want to keep seeing like people producing without actually investing in the vehicle and the infrastructure behind it. Well, and I'll take it one step further. I think that the most successful client collaborations I have are when we actually partner with fundraising. We partner with development, right, Travis? Yeah, no, that's perfect. I actually will run, I should have added that earlier, that I, I will run the finance committee presentation by the director of development almost every time and probably the top program person, right? Because 
but the director of development in particular has real key insights into what the board might be. They've had more contact with donors and people and how they might react to a situation. So they often have some insights that are really valuable for the committee at board level. Yeah, that's such a good point, Travis, because sometimes people produce these budgets out of nowhere and development directors are like, oh, so you want a 300% increase from what? Like out of where? And so I think to your point, yes, it's important to actually have the conversation with development before you unveil a new budget. So final question, Rhea, I'm going to start with you. If we're three quick tips that you would give our listeners how to prepare for a board meeting. Uh, three quick tips. Uh, so less is more. What is the simplest thing that you can present. It's using your headers really well. So if you have a deck, put literally in the in the title of the deck what that particular slide is about because you don't want people to have to think too much. And then the third is a meeting before the meeting. Thank you, Travis. Yes, I do love the meeting before the meeting, but I'll I'll say, you know, knowing as much as you can about your audience, right, for, for the meeting. And I'll say giving them that context of programs and fundraising, the full context of the organization, and then soliciting that help from your peers in senior management, too. This has been great. Thank you both so much. This was awesome. Thanks, Amy. Thank you. For listening to The Balance. I'm your host, Amy Carson. You can learn more about our company, Brand K Partners, and what we do at brandkpartners.com. Our production partner for this series is Citizen Racecar, and this episode was produced by David Hoffman and Alex Brower. If you like the show, never miss an episode by subscribing on all your favorite podcast apps, and please leave a rating and a review. See you next week. 